Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, that's where we're going to start here in just a few moments. And so um, we are, as we said in the, the video, we are in the series Killing Kryptonite that we just started uh, last week and uh, are going to continue until right up until uh, Memorial Weekend and uh, working through this book. And the book, uh, the chapters in this book are shorter than any of the other chapters, the books that we've studied together during our huddle series. Um, but there's more chapters to read in a week. And so the pages are the same. But for those of you that like to complete a task, maybe uh, before you move on to something else, maybe this book will speak to you a little bit easier. And so chapters 4 through 7 are what we're reading uh, for this week. And I uh, want to thank Heather for uh, the Sunday school class today dealing with our tongue and uh, pointed out to us how well that lesson really fit into what we've been studying in Killing Kryptonite. And last week, we kind of set the stage for what this series is about talked about America's fascination with superheroes. Uh, we've always been fascinated with superhero movies. I know not all of us have. And so I, if you're like me, uh, I could care less about superhero movies. I mean, I'll watch them. In fact, I used to watch them with Kedrick because that's something that he was into. And so I would sit and watch even the Lord of the Rings trilogy with him. Uh, but honestly, I could have done without. I mean, I don't really need to watch it. Don't doesn't do much for me. But uh, some love these movies. And so when I first got this book, um, I, I'm a big John Bevere fan. I love his teaching, but I'm like, eh, you know, Superman, Kryptonite, okay, great. Um, but the message of the book is a very profound message. And as we talked about last week, um, just the way that Kryptonite kind of neutralizes Superman's power, there is a spiritual Kryptonite in our lives as believers that neutralizes our power. See, what has happened is that many times we create a, a theology based on our experience. In other words, it's not what the Scripture says about how God's power should flow out of us. And not, when I say God's power, I'm not just talking about miracles and healings. I'm talking about the ability to forgive someone who's hurt us. How many of you know if someone's really wronged us, it takes power from somewhere else to be able to forgive them? It's about treating people that disrespect us with honor. When Jesus says, love your enemies and bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you, he doesn't say when someone comes into your store and is, is mean to you, just ignore them. You know, just go in the back room and talk about them with the other workers. That's not what he says. He says, no, you proactively do good to them. When they are being mean, you still in love pursue them, just like I did to you. Now, that takes power. So don't misunderstand. When I talk about power, I'm not just talking about Pentecostal supernatural stuff. I'm talking about very practical stuff that many times we make excuses for. Well, God understands why I acted that way, why I lost my temper. Yeah, he understands why you did, but he doesn't, that doesn't excuse it because he's put his spirit in us to enable us to live differently. And yet there, and we try to create this theology because we don't see that happening. And so we try to say, well, you know, this is just what God wants. Or this is, you know, grace, God just forgives us. And we don't create our theology based on what the scripture says. Because that would mean there's a problem in my life and how I'm living. Right? And so we were more comfortable creating that theology around this. And so as we've introduced kryptonite, kryptonite is to knowingly and willfully disregard the direct commands of God. Meaning, as a believer, if you know God has said, don't do this, but you have somehow reason to keep doing that in your life. 
I'm not talking about, you know, you're trying to be free or you're getting accountability and you're growing. But I'm just saying you are flat out saying, you know what, I've reasoned in my mind or in my heart that even though God says this in his word, I'm going to continue to do it. That's a spiritual kryptonite. And what John has been talking about, what we've been going through in the scriptures is there's a loss of spiritual strength, a loss of vitality that happens in our lives when we do that, when we live like that. David tells us in Psalm 32, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. By the way, if confessing my sin is, is this, well, you know, I'm sorry that I got angry with you, but it's really your fault. That's not confessing my sin. Did you notice that? Okay, I didn't take ownership for that. I blamed you for it. Now, no matter how you treated me, if I lost control of me, that's on me because the Spirit of God in me enables me to live like Jesus did. And when they spoke at Jesus, when they ripped his beard out, he didn't retaliate. I know already in our minds we're trying to figure out how we can avoid doing that. Well, surely Jesus really didn't mean for us to do that. Well, or maybe he did because he put a power in us to enable us to do that. And so we want this. We do not want our strength to evaporate like water in the summer heat. I'm not going to live in condemnation and guilt. If I lose my temper, I'm not going to sit at home and, you know, feel bad for a couple hours or, you know, be ashamed of myself. I'm going to repent. That means if I lost my temper at you, I'm going to repent to you, and I'm going to repent to the Lord, and I'm going to move on. Because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because we've been set free. Are you, are, you, are you with me? All right, good. Okay, so then we went to the New Testament, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we, for some of you are in a hurry to eat your own meal. Um, that should say meal, not mean. For some of you are in a hurry to eat your own mean. Uh, although that's a whole different sermon, but we won't get into that. Um, you're eager to eat your own meal without sharing with others, and as a result, some go hungry and others get drunk. You should examine yourselves before eating the bread, drinking the cup, because if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, he's not talking about the elements, he's talking about the people in the room, the body of Christ. You are eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. You got to understand, when we, when we talked about this last week, the main problem here was this church wasn't keeping their love on towards one another. It wasn't the practice of communion and how they were doing it. They weren't concerned about others in the body of Christ. They were concerned about themselves. And that word weakness in the Greek, this is the definition. It's a lack of strength, a lack of robustness. It's about being impotent or powerless. So mistreating others when you have strictly been commanded to do it this way and excusing it, making reasons why you're going to do it your way, actually saps the spiritual strength. Not to mention, he goes on to say it, it can make us sick, and some have even died as a result of it. Now, he is clear to point out in the book, he's not saying everyone who's weak, everyone who's sick, or everyone who's died has done this. This is not an everybody thing. This is a some thing. So this kryptonite that comes into our lives is a dangerous thing that we need to understand. And today, we're going to talk about not how, just how it's dangerous, but how it's contagious. You know, if you ever go to the nursing home during flu season or the hospital, what do they give you? 
a mask. They want you to put this thing on. They don't want you to spread germs. In fact, there's a sign on the door that says, if you've had a fever in the last 24 hours, get out. Don't even come. I mean, isn't that terrible? If your mom is in the nursing home and you have had a fever, they don't even want you to come. Who, who do they think they are to tell me I can't come visit my mother in the nursing home just because I have a fever? You know, they're doing it to be mean to you. They're not doing it to be mean to your mother. What are they doing it for? Protection. To keep that thing from spreading. We have that same policy in our nursery. If your child's had a fever, if your child has a green, runny nose, it's like crazy and they're, they're sick, don't put them in with the healthy babies. It's not because we don't love your baby. It's because we love all the babies and all the moms and dads. And we want to isolate that to just, you know, stay away. And so that's the point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul teaches us about the body of Christ. And this is from the message translation, the message version of the, the Bible. This is what it says. The way God has designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent upon the other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, Every other part enters into the exuberance. But see, there's, there's a methodology in our world today where church is something I just attend or something I take from, but God says, no, this is what it is. I've designed a body of believers for you to be with and interact with to show you some disease that's in your own hearts. See, sometimes when we're in a, a church and we have conflict with someone, it's always the other person's fault. Did you ever notice that? It's never really our fault. It's always the other person's fault. Now, it's not anything in me that God wants to remove. It's all on them. But here's what I've learned through the years of life and through the years of marriage and parenting and relationships is it's, it's both of our faults. There's something in both of us that God wants to root out. And that's why he says, hey, I want you to be in a body. Not because he's up in heaven having a good time at our expense saying, hey, let's watch this one. But he wants to make us more and more like Christ. And that's worked out in relationships. In fact, it's worked out through difficult relationships, through loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate us, blessing those who curse us. Now, literally speaking, if sickness invades my toe, I've got gangrene in my toe. It would be foolish of me to just say, well, you know, it's a toe. It's no big deal. I'll just let it go. Because what's going to happen? Eventually, that's going to affect my entire body, even if it's my baby toe. I mean, my baby toe is bigger than most. It's kind of weird. But that baby toe could affect my entire body. And so the doctor may give me some antibiotics, and they may watch it. But at the, at the end of it, he may say this. He may say, we got to cut that toe off. No way! You're not cutting my toe off! What do you mean, jerk? Is he doing it because he, he gets pleasure in cutting my toe off? No. He wants to save my life. And so i got to cut the toe off in order to save your life. So for us to think that, you know, just a little bit of sin in my life really has no bearing on the whole church is foolish. In the same way, when one part gets a benefit, all of us should feel that. How many of you have ever had a back rub? Nobody? Oh, good. Lots of people. Did you ever, do you know, that you don't just feel that in your shoulders, right? 
I mean, it goes, your head, oh, yeah, I feel, oh, yeah, oh. It's, it, your whole body enjoys that moment, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, this is good stuff. And this is what Paul's trying to illustrate to us. Our bodies are connected. So to think that this person over here and this person over here, because they sit in opposite ends of the, the worship center, are, are not connected, we're fooling ourselves. And we can't live like that. Well, I didn't want to really tell anyone what I was going through because, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just between me and Jesus. That's not really what the Scripture teaches. That's what our culture teaches. That's what our human nature wants to do. But that's not what the Scripture teaches. Coming back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 now, I want you to notice that Paul uses the word some at the beginning. For some of you are doing this. He doesn't say that all of you are doing this. He doesn't say this is the way all of you are mistreating people. Some of you. But it's interesting that at the end of this verse, he says this is why many of you. See, sometimes we think, well, if I sin, I'm the one that's going to bear the consequences of that. If I sin, it's all about the other person. It's just me. But apparently, the sin in the body can actually affect more people in the body than just the one. And so that's what this concept is in these chapters that we've been studying. He, in the book, goes through a lot of things in the Old Testament. He's trying to, to, to show us examples of people like Achan and Ahab and Jezebel and um, the, the priests that uh, drove the stake through the man and woman's heart to save the, the Israelites from a... You knew that was in the Bible, right? Drove, drove the tent peg right through them while they were in the ground, you know, immorality, and he saved the Israelites from a plague. Now, if you didn't know that, you're going to have to read the book to find it out. Because I'm not going to take time to go through those Old Testament chapters. I'm going to take the time to take what Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, writing to this church in Corinth, says this, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. Now, he's not saying they're proud of this man's behavior. If you remember the Corinthian church, remember what their problem was? They were proud of their spiritual gifts. They were proud of the fact that they were, you know, doing all of these things right. They're not proud of this immorality. But what he's saying is, stop being proud of all the good things you're doing when there is blatant immorality among a member of your body that you aren't even dealing with. You're ignoring it. You're pretending like it's no big deal. You should be mourning in sorrow and in shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. It's going to get real quiet today. Because honestly, we don't know what to do with this verse. And I'm going to tell you, I don't like this verse. I would love to cut this out of the Bible. I do not ever want to go to someone and say, you need to stop coming to this church. I mean, if you believe that that's something that's fun and easy to do, try it once. It's not. But for the sake of the kingdom, Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. You must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan. Oh, what? 
What kind of apostle is he? Hand him over to Satan? Because here's the thing. If you just pretend like it's not there and that man dies and he stands before the Lord, what's going to happen in that moment? That's not going to go well. And what we're concerned with is not that person's eternity. We're concerned with our right now. I don't want to make things awkward for me. I don't want to go to someone because it's difficult to do. I don't want to deal with stuff because, well, quite frankly, I don't have the time or energy. And what we're saying is, I don't really love you or care about you. I love me and care about me. That's what Paul's saying. Don't care about yourselves. Care about others. Don't you realize this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? If you think a little unchecked sin isn't going to spread, you're kidding yourself. A little bit of yeast spreads throughout the whole dough. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you, and you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, as the scriptures say, you must remove this evil person from among you. Paul goes on to talk about the idea of doing this is to bring this person to repentance. You're not putting someone out of the church because you don't like them or because they're a mean person. You don't have to stop talking to them because the goal is still repentance. The goal is for that person to be restored to a relationship with Christ. It's not just to make life better for us. It's to make life better for all. The same way that we would keep a sick baby out of a nursery, the Bible says we've got to deal with these things. And if people are living in blatant sin in their lives and they do not want to repent, do not allow them to associate with you as a believer. Because Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters. If that was the case, you'd have to leave the world. How many of you work with people who are sexually immoral, greedy, swindlers, and idolaters? It's okay. Raise your hand. You all do. We all do. We rub shoulders with them every day. It's not like a judgment on them. It's just the case. Those away from God do what that nature is. They sin because they're sinners. But here's the crazy thing. The church sometimes preaches at sinners to clean up their act with a nature that's sinful. Imposible. For those of you that don't know Spanish, that means impossible. I know I've really mastered the, the Spanish language. <laughs> so crazy. But what we, we tend to do is we criticize them and we want them to change. But Paul says, I'm telling you, don't associate with people who claim to be a brother or sister. Yeah, I follow Christ, but they're sexually immoral. Yeah, I follow Christ, but, you know, God understands. I got needs and, you know, a little bit of sexual immorality is not so bad. You know, I know it would be, you know, I know the Bible says we should be married, but, well, but, you know, uh, you don't understand our, our financial situation. See how we reason in our head and in our heart what is right based on how we feel or what our culture says or what's better for me, not what the Word says. Paul says don't be with people who are sexually immoral, claiming to be a believer, greedy, idolater, slanderer. or a drunkard, or a swindler. Isn't that interesting? He uses the word slanderer. And we thought gossip and slander were just a weakness in our lives. But for the believer, just like Francis Chan pointed out today, 
it shouldn't flow out of our mouths. I mean, it's not that we're not going to have to battle that and work with that, but we shouldn't say, well, you know, it's okay. It's just human nature. That person deserves to be slandered. Jesus stands advocating for you and I. The accuser stands before God accusing us day and night. Which side do you want to be on? There's really two sides. You can either advocate for someone or you can accuse them. You can actually be an advocate and go to that person and say, hey, I've noticed this in your life and I want to point it out. I'm not perfect, but, you know, just to, if you don't believe it, you don't want to take it, that's fine. I just, I need to get this out. Or, you know, this conversation, you know, this offended me, this hurt me. But in the church world, you know what we want to do? We want to tell everyone else except the person. Well, but pastor, my spouse and I are one, so if I tell them, it's okay. We're reasoning in our minds and in our hearts what's okay. And that's not what the Scripture teaches. And that spreads. Hebrews chapter 12, be careful that no root of bitterness springs up and defiles many. Here's the thing. You don't even have to tell anyone. All you got to do is sit and ponder it in your own heart. How that person did you wrong, how that person offended you. And that bitterness will defile many even before you open your mouth. That's the scripture. I know this is like a harsh word, and after our potential, we're like, whoa, did we just take a left turn? Um, but we didn't, I promise you. We're getting to the good stuff. We do not in this church want to create a nitpicking culture where we go to everyone every time they do one little thing wrong. Okay, that's not what this is about. This is about blatant sin in our lives. It's about holding one another accountable. It's not even just about me going to someone. It's about me saying to everyone, hold me accountable. If you see this in my life, don't you dare let me stand before our Father in heaven and have that on me, and you didn't say anything. That's in reality what we're asking for. We don't want that in our American culture because we all want to save face. We all want to look good but I would rather stand before him as good than to stand before there and be like, really, that was in my life? Why didn't anyone ever tell me? Why didn't someone tell me I had something in my teeth? I had a booger hanging out of my nose. Why is it that we don't like doing that? We don't want to embarrass someone. By the way, if you go home at the end of the day and notice something in your teeth, you're embarrassed. So you could have saved me at least half a day of embarrassment if you would have told me, but. The point that Paul is trying to make is how one of us can affect the whole. How these things in our lives, these spiritual kryptonites, can become a cancer in our body. And we do not want them to be a part of us. Even when it comes to the sin of slander. For those of you that don't know, in the Old Testament, there are two sins that I'm aware of that are actually spoken of as an abomination. One is homosexuality says it's an abomination. And the other is one who sows discord among brothers. It's an abomination. We want to pursue the kingdom. And we want to run from anything that saps our spiritual strength. That causes us to live below what God has designed for us. Because each of us can begin to affect change in the body of Christ. Let me, let me make this really clear. What do we do in response to this idea? All I can do is change me. 
And I don't even do that well. I need his help. I can't do anything about how you act. All I can do is what I act. And if I want to see change, I've got to be the agent of change. It's the old proverb or the old saying that we draw a circle around ourselves and begin to say, Lord, our church needs a revival. Start inside the circle. Did you get that? Start with me. He gives the illustration in the book of the Navy SEALs. And uh, I'd encourage you to read it. It's a great story about the Navy SEALs, and they get a lot of attention. You know, it's crazy the amount of work they do and how successful they are and how often they bring everybody back. I mean, they don't lose a lot of men. They do from time to time, but their rate of keeping men are really good. And he asked a Navy SEAL what that, how that happens. This is what he said. Each one of us values the man next to him more than himself, and is willing to die for a cause bigger than himself. I mean, it's almost like Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. See, the idea that, well, this is better for me, kind of flies against what Jesus taught us to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourselves. Well, but pastor, if I don't look out for me, who's going to look out for me? Everyone else in the room. That's what the Navy SEALs do. They don't have to worry about me because I got five other guys looking out for me. I'm looking out for them. And the enemy comes in and he twists it and says, don't look out for others. You've got to look out for you. Who's going to look out for you if, you if you don't look out for you? Everybody else. And yet we sit in the church and we say, well, I'll let someone else go first. It's time to draw the circle and say, start with me. When Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, I alluded to this earlier in the service. He said that my prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray for everyone who believes through their message, that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. All that Jesus could have prayed for us. Why not pray for power to do miracles? Why not pray for wisdom to train and to teach? Why not pray for courage to evangelize? I mean, why here? Why the power to be one? There must be something in this prayer that's better than asking for power for miracles. There must be something in this prayer better than the wisdom to teach and train, better than the courage to share my faith. What is it? Maybe it's the glory of God. The word glory of God is the, the Hebrew word or the derivative of kabod. And that word means the splendor, the greatness, the wealth, the might, the abundance, the honor, the majesty, the heaviness. It's all that makes God God, his glory. Now, if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, the word glory to you means a 
service where you have a great emotional experience, where the glory came down. I don't know that you're going to find that concept in the New Testament. Here's what I think we find in the New Testament. In the book of Isaiah, let me make sure I pull it up, chapter 60. Look at what it says. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Okay, where is God today? God the Father is in heaven. Seated beside him on the throne is his son, Jesus. And who lives in me? The Holy Spirit. So if the glory of God is going to show up in my life, it's not coming down. It's coming up and out. The glory of the Lord rising upon us. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Why is it that we need to be one? Because spiritual kryptonite, when we're not together, when we're not treating each other the way the Corinthian church was, they were weak. If you look historically, the revivals that took place in places in Asia, in Ephesus, in, in Antioch, in Jerusalem, the revival in Corinth, there was not an impact in the city of Corinth like there was in other places. Could this be why? More than any other church, they kept holding on to things that were making them weak. And the glory of God wasn't able to rise in their lives in the way that it was in other areas of the world. I want to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let light, God says, let light shine out of darkness. Remember Isaiah chapter 60? The glory of the Lord's going to rise. People in darkness are going to see it. They're going to be drawn to it. Let light shine out of darkness. Made his light to shine in our hearts. Who made his light shine in our hearts? God. He made his light. When he put his spirit in us, his light shines in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay in our flesh to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Now, yes, we are individually temples of God. Yes, individually the Spirit of God dwells within us. But corporately, we are the house of God. We are the temple of God. And back in Haggai chapter 2, when Haggai is rebuilding the temple after it had been destroyed, after the captivity, look at what he says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Remember he says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, there's coming a time when I'm going to shake everything again. Okay? Prophetically, this is what he's saying. I'm going to shake the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. He's not talking about the second coming of Jesus. Can I tell you that all nations are not going to desire him when he comes again? Because some of them aren't going to be ready for that, and they're going to be lost for all of eternity. 
I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Now, we know he's talking about a physical temple in the Old Testament. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. I cannot believe God ever wanted his glory to reside in a building. I don't believe it. Why don't I believe it? Because we are the temple of God. Where does his glory rest? In us. Yes, as individuals, but even more corporately. And if a church could grab a hold of this and say, you know what, we disagree, but we're going to maintain connection. We're going to fight to stay together. We're going to be one. And the world is going to say, how are you guys doing that? Because I've been in churches, and they fight over stuff. I've been in churches, and they don't care about each other. When somebody sins or someone gets, they beat each other up. I've seen it. Maybe that's why Jesus said, let them be one. Because where they're one and God's glory begins to rise, guess what the fruit of that's going to be? Miracles. Guess what the fruit of that is? Wisdom to teach and train. Guess what the fruit of that is? Courage to, to tell people about what he's done in our lives. When the glory of God rises on us as people, then all of the world knows who he is. That was way better, but I'm, I'm, I'm good. We're, I'm excited. I know, you're just all overwhelmed by it right now. You're just like, well, this is too good to be true. I can't believe it's true. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3. In fact, Paul says, he's talking about the first covenant, the old covenant, and the new. The first glory was not at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. Remember, first way, the glory he's talking about is Moses on Mount Sinai. Thunder, lightning, cloud, Moses comes down, shiny face, remember, people afraid. Okay, he's saying that glory is nothing compared to what's coming. And yet in the church, we want to walk around and say, well, you know, I, I'm really trying to forgive that person, but you, do you know what they did to me? I mean, either the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me or it doesn't. And I'm not going to feel guilty and shameful, but neither am I going to allow myself to believe that I was meant to live there. He's given me power for a purpose. He's given me power to keep my love on in relationships to people. He's given me power to look at someone who's even an abuser and have compassion for the one abusing, not forsaking the one being abused. In our world today, it's amazing the responses that you see when someone is arrested for an offense against a child. Absolutely, I understand that just the, the, I mean, who could do that to an innocent child? I get what stirs up within us. But the heart of our father is not to accuse. Does that person deserve punishment? Yep, we have laws for a reason. Those laws should be in place, but we shouldn't spew stuff on them because that's what's in our heart. I mean, we might as well be the Pharisee that's like, oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a child molester. Oh, I thank you that I'm not an abuser. Oh, I thank you that I'm way better than that. That's exactly what we're doing. And we've reasoned in our hearts that that's okay. See, well, Pastor Tom, if we always go to people when they're in sin, or we always, you know, that's just going to create all kinds of stuff. As if talking to five other people about it doesn't do so. I mean, the scripture clearly says, even if the person, by the way, the person that you're talking about always knows. And the person that's talking to you about them, guess what they're going to do when you're not there? 
It's just human nature. It's what we do. But we have a new nature given to us from above. And this is the potential. And why is this so important? Why are these chapters so like, oh, so hard? Because guess what's coming? The glory of the Lord rising upon us. But if we don't deal with this, if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't say, "Mm, yeah, Holy Spirit, that's true. You need to do some surgery right here. He gives the illustration in the book about the man who goes to the doctor and he's, there's a, a small tumor, cancerous tumor in his body and uh, the doctor's like, well, yeah, I don't want to ruin his day. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to cut into him. I mean, I don't want to cause him pain. So, you know, you're, you're good. You just take some of these pills and uh, everything's going to be fine. What's going to happen to that tumor? It's going to grow. So why does the doctor cut into that man and take that tumor out? Why does he cause that pain? Because he knows if he doesn't, what's going to happen? Again, I don't want to create a nitpicky culture that our preferences are not what we're talking about. But we should welcome accountability. Every one of us ought to stand up and say, you know what? Hold me accountable. Help me. Because I want God's glory to rise. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be the one that just makes excuses for why I can't do certain things. I want the power of God fully displayed in my life. One last scripture, and then I'll give you some hope that we're going to end. Look at this. Paul prays for the Ephesians church. And this is how he ends it. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Now I know we like to exaggerate as people, but when God says he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, he really can. It means your brain can't even measure what he's capable of doing. According to his power, At work. Where is it at work? Within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So you're going to find this imprint of glory being in the church all throughout the New Testament. And I pray that as you just do your daily Bible reading, that that word glory just starts jumping off the page at you. And glory, remember, isn't coming down. It's not about signs and wonders. It's not about angel dust or gold fillings. It's about the power of God flowing out of us. Not just supernaturally, but giving me the grace to bless those that curse me, to do good to those who hate me, and to pray for those who persecute me. Would you stand with me? God has called us, as we talked about last week in our potential, to be image bearers of his glory. He has put his spirit within us. He's given us grace not to excuse our behavior, but to empower us to change. And he's called us to live in connection with one another as a body. And so here's how we're going to close today. I want you to close your eyes, everyone across the room, even those that normally keep your eyes open when I ask you to close them. Would you close them today? Just keeping it real. Just close your eyes. Here's what I want you to do. I mean, we should do this with our eyes wide open, but we're here. If you say, you know what? 
I see it. I see the potential. I see the connectivity. I mean, I may not like it in my flesh, and I may even think in my head right now, wow, that's impossible. But God, you said it. And it's not up to me. It's not up to the pastor. It's not up to the, the leaders. It's really up to you, God. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna make myself available to you. I'm drawing a circle today. If that's you, I want you to put your hands in a receiving posture. Meaning, I just want you to put them up. If you don't know what I mean, just open your eyes quick, look at me, and then close them. I just want you to receive. Because, guys, I'm not asking you to work harder. I'm not asking you to try harder. Uh, what I'm saying is we need grace today. But grace starts by saying, God, I need some work done. There's some tumors that need to be removed. There's some spiritual kryptonite in my life that needs to be removed. And so, Holy Spirit, today, we humble ourselves before you. And we recognize that there's things in our lives where we've reasoned that our way is better. Sin is deceitful and it's tricked us. It's allowed us to come to a place that we never would have come to if we would have seen this end result. But we refuse to stay here. We refuse to be just another church. We refuse to be anything less than sons and daughters of God displaying the glory of God in every area of our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for grace today. You've promised that if we humble ourselves, that we'll even receive greater grace. And that's what we need today. Because we see the potential, we see what's available, and we want to receive. We want to be agents of change in this body, in your church. Now, Father, over this congregation today, I pray your blessing. God is their pastor. I stand and ask that you would bless them. I ask that you would keep them. I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them. God, that you would lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we are scheduled to have our business meeting immediately following the service. We're going to give you a few minutes. If you don't want to stay for that or you hadn't planned to stay for that, uh, you can be dismissed. We're going to set up some things here in the, the worship center, and we'll start that meeting in just a few minutes. Uh, we don't want to take a long time, but we do want to give uh, you opportunity maybe to use the, the restroom or to just greet those that are here today. And so just take a few minutes for that, and we'll let you know when it's time to come back in. Uh, parents, you do need to pick up your children uh, before that, sorry, and uh, make sure you have them <laughs> with you. And uh, we'll meet in this room just to make it a little easier for uh, you to be able to have some child care for yourselves.